This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. You start with something very vague, like smart shop flow, or digital thread, or digital twin, or autonomous driving. And then you break this down into 16 blocks and say, how much of these 16 blocks should be built versus bought? And if bought, do you buy software? How much should this cost? How much are others paying for this? What are benchmarks in the market? What's the reality versus hype? That's where we come in. A single business decision can have an outsized impact on your company, especially if your company is a giant enterprise. Tech leaders need to be able to find and source inventive enterprise solutions, and ISG is the place to start. My guest today, Prashant Kelker, is the Chief Strategy Officer and a lead partner at ISG. It's a global tech research and advisory firm, and it consults over 80 companies in the Fortune 100. According to Prashant, his prior experience on the other side of the table, Accenture, has given him a wealth of useful insights for his current role. Tune in to hear more about the fascinating advisory process at ISG and why Prashant calls the firm the industry's best kept secret. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today, we have a special guest. You're going to meet Prashant Kalker. He is the chief strategy officer of a company called ISG. That stands for Information Services Group. Now, I got fired up when I learned about this company because we checked it out. We looked it up. It's publicly traded. It is an interesting company. Listen to this slug. It The practice of ISG advises more than $20 billion worth of digital and technology spend every single year over the last 20 years, and they advise 80 of the Fortune 100. That sounds insane. Prashant, welcome to the show. Thanks, Albert. Yeah, and I guess probably we are the industry's best kept secret. Yeah. So, you know, when $20 billion <laughs> go through our fingertips, uh, we find ourselves on the advisory part of this. And think of us as having one leg in sourcing and the other, the other leg in digital technology and strategy. All right. So this is to me is beyond fascinating because like you said, I I we've heard of a lot of the big consulting firms. Of course, most people have heard of Accenture, Deloitte, and they, they've heard of these big companies. There's no question yeah. about it. I don't think that's a secret. Right. What is unique about ISG? If you could start there, like tell our tell our audience, because I think a lot of our audience has probably been your customer or you've worked with them. But give us an idea of like, hey, what is ISG? What does it do? And like, we'll kind of walk through like how you got there, because this is going to be fascinating how you can oversee a practice that can, you know, because we looked at some of the things that you guys are advising on. For example, you just started like a Web3 practice group. And I'm thinking to myself, like Web3 just came out. Like, how can someone be so, <laughs> so versed in it that they could actually give advice? You know what I mean? I don't even know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but why don't we start there? How, how did, what is ISG? What do you guys do? And then talk a little bit about yourself. Sure. If you look at that $20 billion, and it's this number is growing year by year. So last year it was 19. We guess next year it's going to be 22. So all of these, all of this tech spend is, as you, you're right, it gets spent on the Deloitte's, the Accenture's, Infosys, Wipro's of the world. It also gets spent on the SAP, Salesforce's of the world. But all these decisions have to be taken and structured and contracted. So how do you, how do, you do service design structure and contracting at the same time? You can only do it with someone who knows what they're doing, and now comes the but, but has no conflict of interest in implementation. 
like a like a consumer reports almost of technology like right that's like the, the how they work there you go. They, they say hey we yeah we don't take ad dollars so we don't owe anybody a good review yeah exactly exactly so think of us as consumer consumer reports sitting on the other t- side of the table of a fortune 100 before and during their talk with accenture deloitte sap and salesforce these are just examples yeah so in general, like a massive implementation for anyone who's listening who's not from a big company. If you're in an enterprise buyer seat, you already know how this game works. If you're not in an enterprise buyer seat, let's put it this way. Every decision at scale is a massive one. You're talking about, even if it's something small, like someone's like, hey, I want to install Slack. Slack's $8 a user. Okay, it's not a problem, but Slack for a 400,000 person firm, but it's a big decision. Yeah, it's a big decision. Give us an idea of how, how you... In your company kind of, because you have to know something about everything in order to make a recommendation, right? You can't go in it blind, like, oh, that sounds good. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Give us an idea of how you do it, how you go about learning about these technologies, how they work, um, how you get your information. So a lot of us, a lot of us have spent time on the other side. So I'm <laughs> ex-Accenture, by the way, just by way of example, right? So we've all spent our time on the other side mm-hmm. and we tend to think of ourselves as player coaches. We were players and now we are coaches. So we are, a, we are a niche firm. We are 1,300 people mm-hmm. managing this $20 billion. And all of us have seen such transformations in the past. And it's, not, it's never just about technology. It's about people, process, and technology. And how this triangle comes together in terms of design and in terms of commercials. Yeah. So we bring this together. You start with something very vague, like smart shop floor or digital thread, or digital twin, or autonomous driving. And then you break this down into 16 blocks and say, how much of these 16 blocks should be built versus bought? And if bought, do you buy software? Do you get someone like Accenture to come and implement this for you? Or what mix thereof? How much should this cost? How much are others paying for this? What are benchmarks in the market? What's the reality versus hype? That's where we come in. Yeah. So how do you go about collecting this information to help make these recommendations? Because you mentioned some, certainly there's experience, right? You mentioned you guys have all sat on the other side of the negotiating table before. You've probably got some team members that have implemented these technologies or seen it implemented or directly at project leads on some of these. But how do you generally collect your information? Because like a big company investment in technology is not quite like, you know, our earlier example, consumer reports, consumer reports, I can buy a car, drive it around, right? Like that's easy, but implementing something across a thousand employees is very hard. No one's going to let you test that on them. You know what I mean? I know. Like, you got to know, or you've had to either done it. So how do you gather enough information to make a good recommendation? That's a great question because there are two sides of this question. The first side is, let's call it the buy side or the demand side. And that's, about understanding what a Fortune 100 is trying to do versus, and that's the more important part, what are the others doing? Mm -hmm. What are the others doing and how far are they and how are they going about the exact same topic? So we're taking patterns from retail and consumer goods and applying it to automotive and vice versa because they have the same issues, right? Sales and after sales is sales and after sales. So we start looking at how these large programs get structured, sourced, and commercially contracted. Mm-hmm. We bring that experience into one program. And think of this as this, the demand side or how does one structure something like that. The other side of this is the supply side. So since we don't implement ourselves, 
the tech platforms of the world, the system integrators of the world stay in constant touch with us and keep us up to date on what they are seeing. Mm-hmm. Right. So we are like the spider in the net, Albert. <laughs> right. So we're getting it from all ends. We are we are the we are the David of this company, helping the Goliaths talk to each other. Yeah, give us an idea, like an example. Uh, I, I know you probably can't disclose too much without being exact. If they can, that'd be perfect because then we could get a concrete idea. But give us an idea of like maybe something you've helped advise on that dramatically was transformative. Uh, give us something like maybe you know a big success story or maybe a de-risking story. That's just as important too. Like mm-hmm. not doing the wrong. You know, I've seen like um huge disasters um if i recall like yeah. this was a big one which was when uh the federal government launched the my pyramid uh food pyramid yeah i think it was your old company <laughs> i think it was accenture but like there was like a lawsuit because it was like hey you guys spent way too yeah. much money to do this it didn't work out mm-hmm. um because it, it's you already know this when the stakes are that high a big mistake is a, so massive yeah and everybody tries to stay out of those headlines. So you're right, Albert. Yeah. You know, so I, you're right. I can't give you a story from right now. So let me do something else. Let me take a story from three years ago. Yeah. And I can't tell you with whom this is. So it's, it's, it's a large premium automotive firm. Okay. And for three or four years ago, autonomous driving was still magic. Mm-hmm. It's a little more structured now, but it was magic then. You didn't know what you would buy. You didn't know what to buy. And you didn't know what to build. All you knew was a, dri- a car driving itself was actually machine learning. But how much is it? How much is source code? And how much of this is sensors? And how much can a car do on its own versus talk to other tech platforms was not solved. So we got brought in by something very tactical. The car company called us and said, you know, we are trying to structure service level agreements with this tech platform. And we said, yeah, sure, we can help with that. Uh, what services are you trying to get the service levels for? And the question we got back, what do you, what do you mean services? It's like, oh, what are you designing for? Autonomous driving. I said, do you have a service description for autonomous driving? Of course we don't. It's like, okay, so how can you have a service level if you don't have a service description? Because no one's done this before. I said, okay, so do you have a nail it and scale it philosophy? Are you in nail it or are you in scale it? Oh, we're nailing it. Ah, so you're co-creating. So you don't have a service description. Yes, we do, but we don't know how much to buy versus how much to build. So you see what happened is we went from something like service levels right up to strategy because you don't know what you're structuring in buy versus build. So we had to start back from the scratch and say, okay, let's take a step back and see what are we trying to do? Get a service description for autonomous driving, which at the end turned out to be machine learning and getting the data out of a car from a test track yeah, that's like petabytes of data back into back into a data center. Forget about cloud, because you're getting petabytes, and then you got to extrapolate that three hundred thousand times to see how you can how you can teach the algorithms. So how did how did you and your group begin to advise on this? Because as you hinted at earlier, there really weren't that many companies, or were there already a lot of companies exploring this? So you knew that this had to be done, or did you have something to reference or how did you know, for example, that they had examined these things? It was so new that no one else had done it or if they did, they were not sharing it. So sure. we go with this like we would do with anything else. You use the intelligence, which is already in that Fortune 100 firm. It's just lying in pockets and silos. 
it's lying with engineering, it's lying with manufacturing, it's lying with sales. It's also lying with the tech platforms and the tech vendors. So the muscle you bring to play is how do you get to a service description on paper? You've got to take multiple constituents, see what they have, and see how this comes together. So a lot of this is joining the dots based on experience. Gotcha. And once you connect the dots, you start seeing, okay, if you've got now the atlas of the world, who can do what? And sometimes it's not just a tech platform. It might be a startup. And if there's nothing existing and something is deemed core to an enterprise, they would want to do this on their own. In which case, they would need a system integrator who does it for them in the beginning and then build, operates, and transfers it to them. So there are so many commercial models of how this can pan out, Albert. That's, that's where the magic lies. How do you go about collecting all this information? Because like you said, it's, it's broken apart across the organization. Like when you sign an engagement, do they allow your team members to just interview everybody and start collecting this information? Or is this done? Like, I guess, how does it done? Because uh, I, I do know from doing large scale software implementations, uh, I've been a part of, I've been a part of a bunch in my past. The number one thing everyone seems to be very concerned about is their uh, employees time. Mm -hmm. uh, so like we did a, a social media management platform back in the day and uh, Hilton Hotels was our customer and they wanted everyone at every hotel to be, have access to it. And they're like, training can be done and like needs to be done in less than 30 minutes. And we're like, what? It's like, this is how much, that's like, that's how much they were willing to allocate on a per yeah. hotel basis. So I was like, that yeah. doesn't sound like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I know. They, I know. Right? They don't want to give up much time. So yeah. how do you go about collecting all this info? Yeah. <laughs> it's a great point because, uh, I think the mistake most organizations do is they start with either a technology or a trend in mind. Okay. So like, let's go to social media and to, you start the call with Web3. Let's go do something in Web3. That's probably the, the wrong way to go about things. Um, the way we do about it is we, we, we hatch or hitch onto a business goal that the company is already trying to chase. So staying with my automotive example, they would be going after connected after sales which is a thing. It's like, what can I sell to Albert after I've sold him the car? Mm -hmm. Now, maybe what I can sell Albert after I've sold him the car is if the car is smart enough to realize Albert's driving to the, towards the Rocky Mountains, mm -hmm. the car says, oh my God, this is getting colder and colder he, and the elevation's going high. He's going to the mountains. What if the dashboard says, you know what? What if we could sell Albert a conditional insurance for the next six hours for $13.99? only that'd be creepy that'd be creepy <laughs> creepy but yeah. you might click up you might click on that you might click on that and then you're insured for the next six hours and when you're back back to where you are it's it's done you're not you just paid for an insurance now who, who owns that is that prudential or is it ford well, i don't know who's servicing the policy yeah right 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 so and then ford is set up to take uh, payments of thirty five thousand dollars are they set up to pay $13.99? Can you pay for $13.99 today using a dashboard? Do you know the complications going behind that? Payment platforms, <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot because like, uh, you know, like your signal could drop. You just said I'm in the mountains. Like I get yeah. a blank signal, which means I won't get a success confirmation. I don't know if I've paid or have I not paid. Exactly. There's a lot of things that are in play. And then you start seeing the things of things you need to do and you say, oh my God, if that's, that's what it costs you, start getting sticker shock. 
So you'd rather much start, start with saying, you know, conditional insurance sounds interesting. What's that worth? Okay. How many Alberts are there? <laughs> and do we, know our, do we know our customers or do I only know our vehicles? Do I, need the, do I know the con- connect between my customer and vehicle? How much do you think we can make in this year? Should we start in Denver first because you have the Rocky Mountains there? Should we roll out then slowly? Should we go to the Northeast? How do we nail this first? What's the business case? Can we think in budgets in, in an agile way instead of on, in a yearly way? Can we be agile instead of doing agile? Hmm. As, you, as you're talking about this, I'm just thinking to myself, like, <laughs> would I have ever bought this? And, you know, this is a little off subject, but like, I, or yes, last year I drove my son to Buffalo through a snowstorm in Pennsylvania. 100%. I think if the conditions were so bad, <laughs> uh, like we were questioning, would we make it? We we're like, uh, I, I, maybe I would. Maybe like, do you want to up your life insurance policy right now? <laughs> Done. <laughs> I'm like, I, might, I don't know. <laughs> it was pretty crazy. Like I was thinking to myself, like, dude, this is insane. Yeah. But then I'd also be, if this was an actual technology, I'd be suspicious too. Like if I say no, will it try to kill me? Yeah. I go decline and then <laughs> just drives itself off the cliff. I'm like, oh geez, that sucked. But do you know your point? Like, I agree. There, I think a lot of businesses have hypothesis like, hey, I think mm. that this is a market worth exploring or I want to know more about this market. You hinted at it. Um, at the time, it wasn't that it wasn't that they wanted to invest in social, it was social media. They kind of already knew customers were on social making requests for for uh, services. And so they're, the question they were trying to answer was like, is it possible to even collect all this feedback? Because they knew that, like, for example, a hotel is a great example because a hotel, if you have a service problem, really a call center cannot help you, right? Like if the bed is dirty, like who, wait, what's the call center going to do? It's like, I need someone on the ground that's going to clean that. And so that was kind of the hypothesis. But to your point, companies all the time have questions. Like I'll just phrase it as this, questions and hypothesis of new markets they can open, new technologies they can implement to possibly take advantage of a market. But it may not be a strategy. So when does it, I guess, when does ISG get involved? I guess, I mean, there has to be a budget line. Item. They must know they're willing to like allocate some budget to get the, the question answered before they hire you. Like that's got to be how it works. Give us an idea of like the process, because it sounds like by the time they call you, like they're very serious about knowing the answer to, to a question. Yeah. And you're right, because they would have spoken to a McKinsey or a BCG or a Bain. Mm-hmm. And they would have laid out the strategy. Very likely this has happened in a June or July. Very likely this has shown up in the October strategy session of that firm. Very likely this has landed in the budgeting for the next year. Mm-hmm. Very likely someone walked out of a December meeting with a goal in January to get it done. That's where we come in. We come into the how. We come into the how of technology, techno-commercial strategy. So think of us as we start where, an, where a McKinsey and BCG stops. Mm-hmm. We would also stop where an Accenture and Deloitte starts. So it's that time frame. It's like, hey, these are the proposed solutions. Before I say yes to anything, let me get another person to evaluate these plans. Evaluate these plans and also match this against what the others are doing in the market with similar providers, with similar problems. At what, what benchmark price, how much of these mark-to-market could go into uh, evaluation of whether that business case is true or not? Were you part of the team that discovered this market? 
No, I wish I was. So I'm standing on the shoulder <laughs> of giants, Albert. Yeah, so I'm think of me as second generation in this firm. So this firm started in the 80s in Texas. So from folks who had left IBM and CDC. Mm-hmm. And they discovered this market in managed services. So if you remember, in the 90s, offshoring and outsourcing was a big thing. Mm-hmm. They jumped on that trend and said, okay, how can we create big deal structures and establish themselves as third-party advisory in sourcing. Now we've come a long way since because the world has gone more complex yeah. than let's just get you know company XYZ for the next six years to manage our data center. I'm second gen. How did you find out about it? I was on the other side. Of an ISG evaluation? Yeah. So I was at Accenture. So I'm ex-Accenture. So I was on the other side doing all of this and responding to all these very interesting topics coming up. And I'm like, who is behind all of this? And it was ISG. And then, of course, I got headhunted out. And there's been no looking back. So I've been with this firm since 2012. Gotcha. Now, part of, part of the thing that you guys are, you'd have, you know, interesting knowledge or unique knowledge about, tacit knowledge about is, of course, you're sitting over or among all these different companies looking to invest in new markets, new technologies, and so on. What are you and ISG team members seeing, like, let's say, interest in? Like, what, what are companies, like, really wanting to understand more? Because you guys sit in this really interesting realm. Like, you kind of know what's – you kind of have a window into the future because before yeah. anything can be done, it has to be paid for. And before anything is going to be paid for, it sounds like it's going to be evaluated. Yeah. So what are people looking to evaluate? Um, give us a broad, some broad – Things that are going to happen in the next, you think, like, uh, you know, two, three years of where investments of big companies are going to be making. Sure. I think let's start from the bottom. And there might not be words for what I'm saying, what I'm going to describe now, but I think these words might come out in the future. So if you look at the world of storage compute and it went from data centers to the three hyperscalers. Mm-hmm. And now all the talk is about public cloud and how can you move to cloud and how can you migrate to cloud and what are cloud strategies? I think this is this was okay three years ago. Most clients have figured that out. So we are seeing now actually uh, something new. I don't know what to call it. We're seeing storage, compute, cybersecurity, edge, 5G, and IoT come together. Okay, that's just a bunch of buzzwords. <laughs> but you it's, threw a it. it's a bunch of buzzwords? Okay. What do you mean come together? Come together because if you look at it, uh, most computation till now is done on what I call the carpeted flow. Okay. It's happening within companies, within, within the corporate office. Even when you say ERP, it's literally running inside a data center. Mm-hmm. It's still running in a corporate office. Yeah. But things outside in the world, be it on concrete floors, on, on grass, on highways, off highways, are getting increasingly connected. So when they get connected, they go live. When they go live, you have just changed the perimeter of your security. Suddenly, you're much more vulnerable than you were. Suddenly, cybersecurity came into play with a connected thing. What's a connected thing? It's actually IoT. You see how cybersecurity and IoT came together except you just left your storage and compute back in your data center. What's connecting the two? It's cloud, public cloud. So storage, compute, IoT, 5G, edge, and public cloud suddenly came together. What's the new word for it? I don't know. We started calling it size, secure, intelligent, connected economies. 
I tongue twisted myself in my mind. I called it perimeterless. <laughs> You're right. You're exactly right. Because I think the world is the world's going from just solving for IT information technology to solving for OT. That's operational technology. Yeah. There's a lot of devices which are going to go live. There's a lot of dark data which is yet dark. It's going to come to light, and then then I think there's going to be a brand new substrate forming, a substrate for the connected enterprise. We got it designed for that. Interesting, because I I was actually thinking about the challenges that because my my son right now is traveling abroad with his grandmother, and he's in Europe. And I think everyone's read. If you haven't read the news, Europe's having a hard time, right? <laughs> you're, you're, yeah. America's having a hard time. Yeah. Europe's having a much harder time. And I was thinking about how like what you just said, how that very much so probably applies to like the airline industry. So if you take an airline, they have like central HQs and hubs. But their planes are all over the world. And then when they get to their locations, the ground staff, they rely on the ground staff also to help the customer, right? So in the case of luggage, luggage is always my example. Like, but these are subcontractors, like the the luggage handlers, sometimes they work for the airport. They don't work for the airline. And so they have, you would need like, you know, I'm, I'm imagining their handheld systems have like, there's now integrated systems of security, like you just said. Where it's like, who's traveling? Who are they with? Who? What property do they own? And I, I mean, there's a reason why so many bags are now currently being lost. Like they just can't. Yeah. The systems are breaking down, and the you you lose the people. They didn't enter into the system. Now now, you're making a call to a customer service agent, which might also be outsourced, and they have no clue where your bag is. Yeah. That's why people are sticking Apple tags on their tiles on their on their bags. They're like, I'm one of them. Yeah. <laughs> so like. I mean, that's just one industry, but I think other industries, like you're suggesting, are becoming just like that, where their workers, their property is probably, like you said, it's all coming online. The transportation industry makes the most sense the quickest, but it's going to be like, or I guess Amazon Logistics is actually a great example of this because the driver all the way to HQ probably knows what's on that truck. You're right. And you raised a great example. So- you know, who should solve for this? Should United solve for this? Or should Denver Airport solve for this? Or should FedEx solve for this? Or should Zebra, whose devices are scanning all, all of this, solve for this? Or should these four solve it together? Right? I don't know, because the customer is going to call the airline. Exactly. So now, now who cuts the check for this? <laughs> who cuts the check? I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's the complication of all of these, because... Every company is smart enough to know what they do it on do on their own. But I think the world is going away from strategies and planning to actually conversations. So how many of these conversations between these four are you actually tracking as a firm? Yeah. Or are you planning in your little cubicle, in your silo, in your ivory tower? How do you know that what you just put together painstakingly over the last nine months is not already being done out there in a conversation. How do you know that FedEx is not talking to Denver Airport and you're united? You don't know. So I think the world's going away from planning to tracking conversations. And the minute you start tracking business conversations, you start looking at what are ecosystem value chains. In this case, airport, airline, logistics, third-party logistics, and scanning devices, right? So ecosystem value chain. Yeah. So you start looking at these conversations and say, now you, you, you just got a little bit of bandwidth. You can't track every single conversation. You got to decide, how do I listen? Because listening is like listening on Twitter. That's right. You can listen. 
you might choose to you might choose to engage in a few conversations where you say, "Oh man, I think I want to influence that one." Yeah, and if I was like the last mile logistics company that actually brings your bag after we find it, there's no way I want every airline to know every package that's going through all my systems. Like that's not how I want to operate either. Like yeah. they need to know there's like some level of privacy. Like you're only looking at what you're looking at. It's pretty fascinating. I was thinking of another industry as you were talking that has this, is is starting to. I would say buckle. I don't know how it's going to happen, but like, um, which is um, just delivery logistics because a restaurant, which can be a chain restaurant, but if I'm a franchisee, like if I'm a McDonald's franchisee, I can put my restaurant on Uber Eats, mm-hmm. DoorDash, mm-hmm. whatever other delivery service. There's probably more, right? And like, there's that new rise of gig workers, like rejecting orders. Mm-hmm. So who's at fault? I mean, because if, if I'm the franchisee and I make this order, I expect to be paid. Like, there's no, you didn't pick it up. I don't care. Yeah, I made it. You pay me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. So there's going to be, I think I see like that collision that's happening right before our eyes. Yeah. Um. So like, is that like, like a, a kind of problem? Like, I guess someone will have a hypothesis to solve this and they're like, call you up. Like they get some bids and like, Prashant, figure out which one of these is possible to solve. True, or or they. It used to be that way. It used to be, hey, we got these three bids. Can you just help us choose? Mm-hmm. Now we start shifting a little more left. It's hey, this, this is this business problem we're trying to solve. Can you tell us who else is doing something similar and what are they doing, and with whom are they doing? So we are not. We are the how company. We are much more the with whom company. Think of us as the matchmaking and discovery engine of enterprise buying technology. That's who we are. Yeah. So as these perimeters start, like you said, they're they're expanding and they're also interlocking with other people's perimeters. Are more companies starting to think like, hey, I need to verticalize? Like, because Amazon's verticalized, right? It's my where it's your goods mm-hmm. in my warehouse. It's my delivery drivers. And if you want food, it's in my grocery stores, right? Like they, they'll fulfill from Whole Foods, right? And they're going to, if you want medicine, it's going to be from my hospitals, yeah, one yeah. medical. Like that's where they're going, right? Verticalization is a trap. Verticalization is a trap. So I'm going to get in trouble for what I'm going to say now, Albert. So look at, like, you're right. Amazon is verticalizing. So what does this do to Amazon Web Services? Do you think a retail company would host its stuff on AWS? They say they don't look, but I do know. Yeah, I saw a bid. I was as a software vendor. I saw a bid at Sam's Club, and it said if your salute, it asked if your if your solution was hosted on AWS. They wanted to know. There you go. And <laughs> you start seeing right. So you 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 can't be a platform and a threat at the same time. So you got to decide: Am I competing with my client, or am I serving my client? Now I don't want to bash AWS. You know, it's it's a strategy. Yeah, and there are lots of other f- firms who use AWS, but you can clearly see retail is off AWS. Yeah, they're moving off. So there are there's the positive and the negatives to verticalization. So th- that's why you got to start looking at these platform platform models very very carefully. It's everybody is going under. Hey, let's let's go be the new platform. Even ISG would say, you know. Instead of me saying we handled twenty billion dollars of spend every year, I could I could describe myself as we are the platform of enterprise buying technology. But platform is I think is a misused word. By the way, there's a great book which has just come out called The Platform Delusion. I forget the author. Lovely book. I love it already because 
I, I can't tell you how many times we're like, we're a platform. It's like, I got to build on you too. Like, do you know how many platforms are out there? <laughs> like, yeah. if, if everyone's platform requires me to build on their platform, what's the difference between just having single instance software? Right. And I think, <laughs> you know, you, you raised Web3 at the beginning of the call. Yeah. That's because I just don't really know what it is. I mean, I see, I see it all the time and people try to explain it to me. I'm like, but like, whenever, like, uh, the number one thing I understand about Web3 is like, there's no arbiter or central owner of things. So there's not a central owner of things. There's also no arbiter of things. But in my life, I feel like I need an arbiter. I need someone to say this is right and this is wrong. And this is how the transaction will go down. Right. But I guess you're a cynic like I am. So, right. I, I get the entire decentralized uh, part of Web3, the, the philosophy part. Yeah. I think we're heading for a, I call it a re-centralization, not D, but re-centralization. So I think there'll be definitely new players. So how many, how many players do we need in this industry who will manage digital identity? One, three, 200, 7,000. I, I don't know, but it's not 7,000. So, you know, the, I think there'll, <laughs> there'll be some amount of re-centralization. So I think what gets interesting in Web3 is not so much the decentralization, but the fact that Web3 is a protocol-based world. And in a protocol-based world, um, you start going from platforms to protocols. And protocols are powerful. HTTP is a protocol. It's gave us the internet. SMTP is a protocol. It gave us email. It changed the way we work. So protocols are very, very powerful. And Web3 is much more of a protocol world. And it is a back-end world. Like Web2 was a front-end world. It was social media. Web3 is solving for the back-end of the world. So as you go from platforms to protocols, that's where I think the decentralization happens. But if you're if you're now tracking protocols instead of platforms, you're saying, okay, I, I don't make a choice between six, one of six platforms. I make a choice between thousands and thousands of protocols because I can bring something to life just by joining the dots across protocols. You just went faster in your implementation, but you have to develop a new muscle and that is protocol scouting. That's what's waiting for us. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Because this is a, a nice reminder to myself to figure out how to wake and make money outside of tech very soon. Like that, <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting to the point where we're like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> you, you, you remember, remember, like, remember when my, I remember like seeing, watching my grand, my mother, like try to program something on a, a like an appliance and she was like blown away. I'm getting there. This is where I'm I'm at that point where I'm like, damn, like if I don't get like if I don't take a job like yours where I'm like learning stuff more often, I'm in trouble because I, right now I'm learning through like conversations. Uh, I need to go deeper because if I if I and if I'm not willing to go deeper, <laughs> I need to get myself a power washer. And I could just be a power washing guy. I'm going to be good. Right. I'm going to be good. Right. Because this is this like we're talking about six thousand protocols i gotta know now like come on man like <laughs> right right or you develop a muscle for, muscle for constantly tracking new protocols right so yeah that gets us into interesting discussions because now you don't know how to take buy versus build decisions the world just got more complex oh man well Listen, you blew my mind away. I'm sure someone listening is just saying like, oh, I totally understand what Prashant's saying. Like, and if you are, yeah, give Prashant and his team a call. ISG, like everyone else, is hiring for more skilled labor and talent for sure. Prashant, I want to say thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing a lot of what you do. But before you go, 
it's actually time for the, my favorite segment, which is the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce platform. It's the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. It is a platform. Uh, Prashant, this is where we ask you questions outside of the world of work so our audience can get to know you better. You ready? Sure. All right. Here's some fun ones. What's one of the craziest problems you've had to solve in your career? And it doesn't have to be at ISG. Like, what's something that someone brought you to your table? You're like, dude, I don't know what you're trying to do. It's, I think it's the one which we just started with, the autonomous driving before they could spell autonomous driving. That was the <laughs> craziest problem because we didn't know whether this was a commercials, contracting, service description, or a technology problem. <laughs> they were just like, hey, we want to do this. And you're like, uh, no. And where do you start? I don't know how to start. Where do you start? <laughs> who is your technology IT hero? Like, Who you look up to? Like, man, this guy's or this person is so smart. They, they figured out all the solutions. I still worship Steve Jobs. I know, you know, he comes as a flaw. There's, there's flaws, but who doesn't have flaws? But I still worship him. Yeah. Very good. Any particular reason why? He, he put it out there. He shaped the world. He didn't ask the world what they needed. He shaped it. He could describe in very simple terms what he's trying to do. He focused Apple on what they should not do instead of what they should do. He lived the word simplify. Yeah. My favorite story, and I'd love to hear yours. My favorite factoid or story about Steve Jobs was the fact that he was, before Apple, he wasn't actually into technology at all. No. In fact, he was trying to raise enough money to go, I believe, to India to like find himself and do a lot of weed when his neighbor <laughs> was like, I'm selling these motherboards. Well, how much are they worth? <laughs> and he's like, oh. Well, I could sell that and make some money so I can get enough money to make this vacation happen. And he then fell in love with, of course, the technology, but like people don't realize like he didn't, he wasn't that guy growing up loving tech. Like that was almost, that was wise, really. He'd learned to love it, really. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, did you know about the Florence story? Remind me. Okay. So he also spent time in Florence in Italy. And if you go to the medieval villas in Florence, at the doorstep, they have a stone. So each, each doorstep before you, the threshold of each door has one particular stone. And I forget it's what it's called. It's Pieta something in Italian. And he asked what that is for. And he said, it's because when you're crossing the threshold, you're crossing into a new world. And that's the time I think Aldous Huxley also brought up the doors, of doors to perception, doors of perception. And... If you look at the Apple stores now, all of them have that gray flow. That's where it comes from. He was taking also ideas from Florence, from the Medici's, from the Renaissance back into Apple stores. Ah, I do remember that. Okay, so now I'm remembering that chapter because I do remember like, yeah, people were kind of taken aback. But not only did he run a lot of the tech, the technology influence, but he was very adamant about the look of the Apple store. Yeah. And his, his dad was a carpenter, I believe. Like he was, so he was very much into like how things were made. Yeah. His degree was in fonts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really fascinating stuff. Prashant, I want to say thank you again for joining us. Thanks for sharing a little bit about yourself. It was awesome having you. Listen, ISG is a really interesting company. Like I, I, I don't know how you got into this field, but man, it's, it sounds like, I mean, I do know now cause you told me, but this is such an interesting field because it does make sense. Like when there's, the deal sizes on the line here are so massive. Companies are doing things that really, like you said, they're not really done before. It helps to have a third-party provider. 
I'm st- the only thing I'm still puzzled by is I still don't know how to become so knowledgeable that my advice would be welcome. That's <laughs> oh, Albert. In a sense, we do what you do. You said you listen through, you learn through conversations. We do the same. Oh, maybe I could get a job there. I don't know. Prashant, <laughs> thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Good to talk to you, Albert. <laughs>